0: Kilda and welcome. My name is Caleb. This week, just gone, I had the privilege of going with my team and a range of other people from across Auckland to a conference put on by the Barna Group, a global research organisation. It was called the Open Generation, a global study of teens. They surveyed over twenty-five thousand teenagers across twenty-six countries, focusing on ages of thirteen to seventeen. It was fascinating to see that little old New Zealand where we trended and how we fit into the puzzle. They broke it down into three different sections. How teenagers in New Zealand relate to Jesus, how they view the Bible, and how they can make an impact in the world around them. It was amazingly hopeful. I've been to conferences like this before and it's all doom and gloom. Faith is dying. People are leaving the church, etc., but what I loved is that there was an acknowledgement of this open generation and how teenagers are, are open to faith. In New Zealand, they said as they surveyed, 39% were highly or somewhat motivated to learn more about Jesus. That's coming from teenagers who are in faith, out of faith, Christian, non Christian. 39% want to know more about Jesus. That's exciting. The question that I reflect on as I think about that as we engage in our passage in Romans today is do we really know God? We have this next generation that are are growing up telling us that they want to explore faith and, and know God more. Yet the underlying question of our passage today is do we ourselves know God? When I was at high school, I was one of the only kids in my friend's group who attended a youth group. I was not ashamed about my faith and I would often ask my friends to come to Bible studies, social programs with varying success. And on one particular occasion, my friend's response to my invitation was, thanks, but you know me, if I stepped foot in a church building, I would burn up. A response I'm sure that many of you have heard before, but it threw me. A joke maybe, but there was some truth and some belief that he held in that. That if he walked into a church that he would burn. Maybe not physically, but maybe from the perceived judgment of others. Or maybe it was his own conscience at work. Whatever it was, the way that he understood who Jesus was meant that it was stopping him from engaging in faith. Why do people feel like this? Is there a sense of misunderstanding going on here? Last week, Grant talked about the righteousness of our God and how it is good news for everyone. So why is it that my friend would think that he's not worthy, that he would burn up? If you were hoping that the start to this series of Romans was going to be something nice, simple and easy, (laughs) you were wrong. Today, as we jump into our passage, we are looking at God's wrath against humanity, it's called in some translations. Let's look at the passage, uh, Romans 1, 18 to 32. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile and foolish, and their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images made to look of mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, of to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is praised forever. Amen. And Paul continues in this list uh, as a little bit further down. He says, they came filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolence, arrogant, boastful. They uh, invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding of fidelity, love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteousness decree, uh, they do such things, they deserve death. They not only continue to do these things, but they approve of the practice of them. If that was the end of our message today, it would be an encouraging day in the Word, right? (laughs) Maybe not. But the title of this passage in, in many Bibles is God's Wrath Against Sinful Humanity. However, the truth of the text is clear to see that God wants us to know Him. Although we are sinful, He is righteous. Do we really know God? Before we unpack the passage today, we must Remember that Paul is writing this letter to the Roman church, fractured, filled with Jews, Gentiles, wrestling with what is right and wrong. What I love about scripture is how it is so interwoven. The first section of Romans is actually the equivalent of the gospel by Paul. Romans 1, 1 to 17 is the righteousness of God revealed. Or in other words, it is Jesus saying that he is just, he is right, he is faithful to his promises. More specifically, Romans 1, 18 to 32 is actually a parallel of Genesis chapters 3 to 11. Focusing on the fall, the wickedness of man, the flood, God's covenant and the Tower of Babel. What we see outworked in these chapters of Genesis when paralleled with Romans is that God had an original intention for His creation, one that He would rule over in relationship with, just, right, and faithful to His promise. However the fall happens, God's righteousness remains, but we become trapped in our sin and selfishness, becoming idolatry and and, and looking at the different things that we can create, worshipping those very things. We give our allegiance to them, the ones that we create. And in this exercise, we see the parallels between Romans and Genesis and the brokenness of our human hearts. And I would argue that we can see that very context not too dissimilar to our culture today. Wisdom literature tells us that there is nothing new under the sun. And it looks like history is repeating itself. In Genesis and Romans, we see people engaging in destructive behavior, envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. The list goes on and on of the sinful humanity who stands guilty before God. One that is right, that is just, that is faithful. And when we compare that to our culture today, we don't have to look too far before we see the destructive behavior of our humanity, standing guilty before a righteous God. So what does that mean for us? Was my friend right? Would he have burned up under the wrath of God as he entered the church? The word wrath here, it would be unfair to use the word anger as it's such a loaded word. Psalm 85 Oh, sorry, 86 verse 15 shows us, But you, O Lord, are compassionate. You are gracious. You are a God who is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. He's not fiery. Rather, God has an expression of justice that will be exercised after a long period of offering grace and mercy. One commentator describes the language of wrath as an ongoing fixed opposition, not an outburst, but a fixed, controlled, passionate feeling against sin. God's wrath is, is not like mine in my sinful humanity when my children come in and, and they traips mud through the house or they draw on the couch and I have a sudden outburst. He's like a good school teacher or a principal who is wooing us to follow the values of the school and the things that they hold dear, giving ample opportunity to return to those values, to return to the way. Serving created things is not the way. Instead, there is this fixed opposition. The consequences of our choices, good or bad, will always play out in His will. And this is where we see verse 24 come in, and God gave them over to their sinful desires. This is not a moment of God agreeing with the choice or giving up on this person and their sinful humanity. Instead, it is the outworking of the image of God just and righteous. Just as He remains in this fixed opposition, He is slow to anger, He gives greater grace, He is merciful. Ultimately, we are the ones choosing our own path. God wants us to know Him better. He wants relationship with us. He wants us to choose Him. But the gospel or the good news of Jesus is that He came to bridge that gap of our sinful humanity to be with His holy divinity. We might suppose that Paul here in chapter 1 is answering the question, why do we need the gospel? Verse 18 shows us that we are lost without it. God has made himself plain, clear, and yet we miss him. There is not a day that goes by where I don't ask Rachel, my wife, do you know where insert item is? Do you know where my sunglasses has been one of our favorites of late? Do you know where my keys are or my phone is? And recently... Rachel has been conditioning me to put my keys on the hook that we have at home because if I leave them in the same place, I'll know where they are. And I think it's this consistency that Paul is challenging us to. God has made it plain, clear. He is consistent. We must choose to pursue Him. Not pursuing created things, but pursuing our Creator. Just as we have a choice of our own path, we too have a choice of engaging or exchanging. Paul uses that language three times, where he says, We exchange the glory of the immortal God for mortal things, truth for a lie, natural for unnatural. At some point, we all have to, uh, we, we have all exchanged something, right? Whether it's a, a gift or a present or something that you've purchased that didn't fit. Last Christmas, Rachel got me a board game with some storage units. I didn't need the storage units, so when I sent them back, I actually exchanged them and uh, I ended up getting caught in the trap of buying extra rather than just getting something for equal value. But the difference here, however, was that uh, I wasn't getting lesser value. I I chose to get something more. And even if I had chosen something of lesser value, I would have been given store credit or money back. The exchange that Paul is talking about here doesn't necessarily describe this. One way of describing it is one exchanging is something ceasing and another taking place. Often we cease, we stop, we exchange things that don't suit us, things that don't fit what we want. And we re-replace it with what we need. Notice there is no indication of value in that idea. One thing that stops and another starts. However, when we reintroduce this idea of value, it's clear to see that our sinful, broken nature, we aren't exchanging things for equal or greater value. Immortal for mortal. Truth for lie. Natural for unnatural. We are in fact exchanging things that suit our sinful and broken humanity. A God who is easy to discover. If I were to go back and, and if I were as a teenager, what would my response be? If our God was great enough to welcome all people, would they feel and would they burn up as they entered our church? Often we only focus on that first section of Romans. Romans. We focus on the different things that make us feel great. But are we willing to wrestle with our sinful nature and our humanity? Paul is clear in his encouragement and his challenge to the Roman church. They live in a depraved culture. And it's clear for people that are choosing to face the consequences of that. But verse 20 eloquently describes it for us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature have been clearly seen so that people are without excuse. Therefore, those of us in faith, in church, we are without excuse too. Are we going to hear the warning that Paul gives to these Romans and to us today? God is righteous. He has given us the freedom to choose. What will you choose this day? Will you choose to know God? Will you choose to go your own way? We can enjoy the fruit of His righteousness because He sent Jesus for you and for me that we might have life and life to the full, but we must choose it. Acts 17, 26 and 27 says he has set boundaries of people and nations, determining the appointed times of history. He has done this so that every person would long for God and they would feel their way to him and find him. For he is a God who is easy to discover. Our God is easy to discover. And now that we have discovered him, he leaves the choice with us. How does that change the way that you live your life this week? Are you willing to face the consequence of which way you go, good or bad? Let us pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are a righteous God. You are right, you are just, you are faithful to your promise. And Lord, you call us into relationship with you. And in our sinful nature, Lord, we thank you that you are slow to anger. You are full of mercy. Lord, would you help us to fix our eyes on you? And Lord, would we pursue you in all that we do? Would the way in which we live our lives, Lord, would it display your hands and feet? Would it not be about us worshipping created things, but instead would we worship our Creator? And Lord, we thank you that you have made yourself known to us. Help us to have the confidence and be willing to step out in obedience, following the way that you are calling us to. Help us this week as we go. Let us live out our faith as we try to know you more, to truly, truly know you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today.